Welcome to Calvary. My name is Josiah and I'm a small group leader. Here at Calvary, we want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God, and connect with our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. Feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll get right back to you. This is a great first step to joining our church family. We also want you to experience daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. If you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God, and find a small group that you can really connect with, we'd encourage you to talk with one of our volunteers or staff after the service. We want to let you know what's going to happen over the next hour. First, our band is going to lead us in worship, and that helps us understand who God is and express our love and affection towards Him. Afterwards, we're going to take some time to let you know about some things going on here at Calvary. Then, one of our pastors will be sharing an encouraging message from the book of Nehemiah. I'm so glad you're here. Now, I invite you to join us as we worship together. Well, good morning. morning. Wow, that that was a good one this morning. So I'm Bev Sesnick, Associate Pastor here at Calvary Community Church. Yes, I want to welcome each and every one of you, those here in person and online as well. And as we begin today, whenever in this sermon you hear the word work or minister, when it's used, I want you to see it as applying to every one of us here. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, no one is excluded from today's message. Also, I want to frame today's sermon in the context of the Bible, in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45, which says, For even the Son of Man, that is Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others. Jesus modeled to us service. His work, his ministry was to obey God's will, even to the point of giving his life on our behalf. With that being the foundation for today's sermon, the example of Jesus' service to others, I want to ask a question to you. How many of you enjoy your work, whatever that may be? Want to raise your hand? Okay. Now, if you answered yes to that question, you are in the minority. 65% of Americans, and most likely Canadians as well, these workers are actually unhappy with their work. Many of them go to work simply because they have to. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. <laughs> so Labor Day reminds us, unfortunately, that the summer holidays have come to an end. Now, some people are glad. Some are looking forward to letting their children go back to school. <laughs> and others are not looking forward to going to work. The reality is that almost everyone here will either have a school or a job or some responsibility this week. So may I ask you, are you looking forward to whatever you will be doing this coming week? Because the way you and I view our work, whatever it is, will impact our own personal happiness, our performance on the job, and our success in life. When people talk about their jobs, it seems to me I hear some of these familiar messages. People in the office are always complaining. It's a negative environment. My boss is a slave driver. And, that, and that's just what I hear from people who work here at Calvary. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Actually, I'm thankful to, to work here in an overall healthy environment at Calvary. Now, wherever you are and whatever workplace God has you, Instead of wanting a change or wanting to leave, 
how about you be the change where you are? Maybe God has you in that place of work to change the culture so that it would ultimately honor God. Yes, you can serve the Lord full-time wherever you work. You don't have to quit your workplace or wherever you may be. Rather, God wants you to be in full-time ministry, using your work to serve him as you serve others. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. God is the one that you are really working for. And this is a needed shift in our thinking because God is the one you are serving when you serve others. And if that is the case, how can you do your work? How can you do it in such a way as to minister for God while you are serving others? And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you're just checking God out, you're investigating, you're curious. For whatever reason you may be here, I would want to say that you are welcome here. We're glad to have you here with us. And so the challenge today is to serve, in other words, to minister. Now in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus said these words, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. At this point in the sermon, I want to introduce to you Josh Raymond, a longtime member of Calvary Community Church. He is taking theological training with the intention of becoming a pastor. Let's welcome Josh. Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, that was a good one. He's right. So as Pastor Bev mentioned, my name is Josh Raymond. Um, for those of you who've been here for a while, you probably recognize me running around the booth, running a lot of the tech stuff, but I was actually born into this church. I started coming here, I believe, in the womb, if I'm not mistaken, although you'll have to ask my parents about that. So to begin today's message, I'm obviously still pretty young and inexperienced, so I would like to... Uh, lean on all of you a little bit, if you will. Uh, if we could all just pray and ask the Lord to give me strength and guidance as I stand up here on stage in front of all of you. So let's bow our heads. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We ask that as I am up here speaking your words today, that you guide me and you Lead me in the direction you want us to go. I thank you for this church family and how supportive and uh, life-changing they've been throughout the years. I ask that you bless them for that. Whatever gifts or talents or abilities they bring today, I ask that you help them use them well for the benefit of us all, for the benefit of your kingdom and your church. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So why does serving make sense? I have three main points this morning. Uh, the first one is that serving makes life purposeful. So God actually wired each of us to serve. A ministry unique to each one of us. It doesn't have to be flashy or showy. It just has to glorify God. We can glorify God by using our gifts, our talents, our abilities, whatever is unique to us, 
in a way that is beneficial to other people. Something you may not realize about service, however, is that it can be done in a context where you have a relationship. Any, any relationship, really, is a platform for service. Well, my schooling background is pastoral in nature. I'm taking a Master's of Divinity right now. Uh, my current nine-to-five is as a trucker. I drive around the city in three- to five-ton trucks delivering stuff to people, and that's what I do. And I do it with one or two other people at my side, usually helping me out. But these people are usually not Christian. And so what this means is that throughout my day, I have extensive amounts of time to build relationship with non-Christians and to share my faith with them if they are curious, and they are sometimes. I can confidently tell you from personal experience that using your gifts in the way that God created you in the way that's unique to you is incredibly fulfilling. It doesn't make it easy. Me standing up here today is a little nerve-wracking, I'll be honest. But it does make it good. So we can look to Scripture and see evidence for this. In James chapter 1, verse 27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Going and doing is pure and good religion. When you serve somebody else, it's like God opens this window into your soul. That's why I've created you. That's what I made you for. That's why there's this deeper sense of happiness when you serve. It is a realization of God's design for your life. It's intentional. One of the most common ways we serve God throughout our lives is through our day-to-day, our nine-to-fives, if you will. Contrary to what you might think, doing this work is actually integral to how we were created. If you look at Genesis 2.15, we see this. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it, to work it, if you will. And there are several sections throughout Scripture that tout the importance of doing this work, but specifically for the benefit of others. So look at Titus 3, chapter, four, or chapter 3, verse 14. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. I believe one of the chief reasons why we live in a world today where so many people are dissatisfied in their lives is because they just live for themselves. Western culture especially teaches this, that it's all about me. It's all about what I want, when I want it, however I can get it. Our Lord, however, teaches a different way. So if we go to Philippians chapter 2 now, verse 3, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Or how about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24? Don't be concerned for your own good, but rather for the good of others. God, through scripture, has made this principle abundantly clear. Our directive as children of God is to consider others first, to consider others before ourselves, to treat others as more significant than ourselves. The beautiful thing about this is that when we obey God's command and we choose to serve others first, we inevitably become more like Jesus. And that's my second point. Our service makes us more like Jesus Christ. So going back to Philippians chapter 2, it continues on in verse 4. 
Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. So here we see Paul explaining that a key part of the Christian walk, a key part of our sanctification, which is just the process where we become like Jesus Christ, a key part of this process is actually following in our master's footsteps. It's doing as he did. We are to have the same attitude that he had. And we do this by choosing to lay aside our own interests and preferences. So what did Jesus say of his own attitude? Well, in Matthew 20, starting in verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus' way of saying, I came here not for all of you to serve me, but for me to go and serve you. When we choose to serve, we are literally becoming more Christ-like. When I'm serving, it demonstrates that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. This means that if I serve in a workplace long enough, theoretically, people should notice. Why do I do things this way? What is different about me? Why do I constantly put the needs of others first? So let's think about this for a second. God incarnate. This is Jesus Christ. He comes down to earth and he says, I didn't come for you to serve me, but for me to serve you. This is radically different from what we see in the world today. In the world today, serving is often looked down upon. You look down upon the people who serve you. So this month has been pretty insane for me, to be honest. Uh, and I've struggled to balance everything properly. So when Pastor Bev texted me to co-preach this sermon with him, I was equal parts excited and unnerved. <laughs> While I really wanted to do it, I was unsure if I would be able to balance everything properly and if I'd have the energy to do so after everything else that was going on. But ultimately, my standing here today is an act of faith. It's choosing to trust that the, that the Father will honor my work and use me in a way that I can't foresee and probably never will see. I trust him to take what little I can do and to use it exponentially for the good of the kingdom. So why does serving make sense? So we had two points so far. It gives my life purpose. It makes me like Christ. And finally, our service will be rewarded in eternity. While we may or may not be rewarded for what we do, while we're still here on earth, Jesus said this in Matthew 25, verse 23, when he's speaking about future rewards or eternal rewards for what we do. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. This passage is a parable or a story that Jesus tells in order to illustrate a point. He taught this one specifically in response to questions about his second coming or his return to earth. It is his way of teaching us how we, the body of Christ or saints, ought to act in preparation, if you will, for his triumphant return. This verse also promises that what we do here will be rewarded in eternity. So there's three aspects to the reward mentioned in this verse. Firstly, there is affirmation. Well done. 
Imagine the God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the God who was, the God who is, and the God who always will be, who knows every single detail about your life, every thought you've ever had, every action you've ever taken or not taken. Imagine him, in light of all that, saying, well done. Make no mistake, affirmation of a life well lived will be an affirmation of a life of service. You serve God by serving others. Christ pl plainly lays this out for us later in that very chapter. Look at verse 40 now. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you, will do, you were doing it to me. This tells us that the way we choose to treat others matters. God sees our choices, and he considers our actions. He says that how we treat others is akin to how we treat him. Secondly, there will be a return on our investments. God says, you've been faithful with the little things, so now I will give you so much more. The Bible teaches that our work uh, is a test, an inheritance test, if you will. If we are faithful with the little things, he will trust us with much more. Look at verse 34 now. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. God prepared an inheritance beyond our wildest dreams from the very fundament of the universe. He set a place for us, for those of us who choose to deny ourselves and instead prioritize the needs of others. So think about how much time you spend at work. I know I spend significantly more time at work than I do here at Calvary, and I'm pretty involved here. Same thing with your friends. For some of us, we even spend more time at work than we do with our families at home. So if you're not serving God when you're out at work, where else do you have the opportunity to live out your faith? Your responsibility here determines your reward and responsibility in eternity. There's one last part to this reward. One of my favorite phrases in the entire Bible comes from some of the more old-school translations of this section. Enter into the joy of your master. And this refers to the celebration. The life that we live here is just a short blip, and eternity is, well, eternal. And from credible reports of people who have had near-death experiences and returned, life on the other side is beyond our wildest imaginations. So this coming week, in the workplace, who are you working for? Does it matter? Does it count? Jesus says if you want to be great in eternity, then serve here and now. 1 Corinthians 10. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I really want to stress this. I'm not up here to tell you that you have to volunteer or join a small group. You should, but you don't have to. I'm here to tell you that your work matters to God. That work doesn't have to be in a church setting, and for most of us, it isn't. Whatever you do, whether school, retirement, 
a brand new workplace or the same office that you've been at for the past decade. What you do there matters to your Heavenly Father. It is not insignificant. How you act in those contexts matters. My being here and preaching this morning is no more honorable or important than an industrial welder doing his job to the glory of our God. Jesus says in John 12, verse 26, Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. I can't fully understand God's reward system because, well, I'm still here on earth. But I do know that the Bible is very clear that God rewards us in eternity based on how we live here in the present. Luke chapter 19 contains a parable that's very similar to the one we've been looking at in Matthew 25. And it basically goes like this. A rich man or a nobleman is going away for a long time. And so he takes his wealth and he entrusts it to a few of his servants. Along with this wealth, he gives them one instruction. He says, occupy till I come, which is really just an old English way of saying be faithful or do well until I come back. How you live doesn't get you into heaven. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ gets you into heaven. An intentional choice to follow the Lord Jesus Christ gets you into heaven. What you truly believe. Scripture is very clear about this. Romans chapter 10, if you want to read more on that. But this doesn't mean that our actions don't matter. How we conduct our business matters. How we live our lives matters. It's been an honor to stand up here and explore the scriptures with you. And I hope you learned a thing or two. I did, preparing it, that's for sure. And I hope I get the chance to do it again someday. Thank you all. Thank you, Josh, for those insights from the scriptures. So let's make it practical this week. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, how can you have a ministry among the people that you're involved with? How can you serve others knowing that God is observing? Let me give you some actions you could do this week. To begin with, accept others unconditionally. If you want to be a minister, a servant of others, you serve people by accepting them. Can you think of the names of people you work with who are difficult to accept? A lot of people are difficult to accept. Has anyone seen the TV show The Office? A few. Well, you would know that Dwight is a guy in The Office. He's sort of a dorky-looking guy who says some things that are a bit dumb. He's, uh, he's a very difficult to accept. And I suspect that you've got people at work that you find difficult accepting. Everyone needs acceptance. Now, some of you are thinking, why should I accept people who say stupid things or do hurtful things to me and others? If you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that's exactly why you need to show acceptance. Just because they say foolish things or do stupid things is no reason to withdraw your acceptance from them. Everybody needs acceptance. Why? Because we're all broken. We're all messed up. We all have weaknesses, inadequacies, yes, sin. We all have issues. But here's what we do. We treat other people like they're supposed to be perfect. Do bad drivers tick you off? 
Yes, but how many of you have been a bad driver? Absolutely. Who hasn't made a mistake while we've been driving? When you make a mistake and cut somebody off and they flip you the bird, which is the international sign of displeasure, (laughs) what you should do is wave at them, pretending you didn't see it and thought that they were waving at you. Try it. We have our own issues, faults, and problems, yet we expect everybody else to be different. Nobody's perfect, and if you expect perfection from people, you're going to be totally frustrated all the time. As a matter of fact, I would say that you can't minister to people, you can't serve them, if you cannot accept them. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Look at the result. It's not to make them feel good. It's not to make you feel good. It's to bring praise to God. That's why you accept them. And by the way, don't confuse acceptance with approval. You can accept people without approving their behavior or their lifestyle. You can love people without agreeing with their life or behavior. Jesus did it all the time. As a matter of fact, because of who Jesus hung out with, prostitutes, thieves, others considered low life. What was Jesus called? A friend of sinners. Would people say that you are a friend of sinners? He accepted people without approving of the things they did. And some of us perhaps might even be defensive right now. You're thinking, you don't know the people I work with. I don't. How many people do you work with who are odd or difficult or different? The key is when people are hurtful and they say dumb things and they're mean, the key is to look past beyond their behavior and into their heart. What we typically do in the workplace is we focus on everybody's behavior. What we don't realize is that people who are hurting on the inside will hurt others on the outside. People are so broken on the inside. Don't hate them. Neighbors do something stupid or whatever. Don't hate them. Feel sad for them because they are hurting on the inside. Have compassion. Turn your anger into compassion and pray for them. Years ago, I had a fellow student when I was in forestry college, and this guy had a loud mouth. I can remember his name, his face clearly to this day. And I I despised Chuck. It really bugged me. And then one day, I heard Chuck's story. He told me of coming from a broken home, a disrupted family, divorced parents. Suddenly, it made sense. Chuck was looking for attention that he never got. And I felt so bad that I had judged Chuck, because here I was a Christian, but I didn't accept him, because I didn't realize how broken he was. Everybody is crying out for acceptance. The people in your office or wherever you are, the ones who are least deserving, the most obnoxious, those are the ones who need your acceptance the most. And if you want to be a minister, you need to accept others unconditionally. Secondly, to have a ministry at work, wherever that might be, you need to encourage others continually. You minister to people when you encourage them. Here's some things you can know about encouragement. Everybody needs it. Everybody is hurting everywhere. 
Everybody in your world could use a lift and encouragement. I don't know about you, but I've never met anybody who has said, don't encourage me. I've had enough of this. That just doesn't happen. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, so encourage one another and build each other up just as you are already doing. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, of all the people in the world, we should be the ones who have the reputation for being encouragers. Let me ask you, are you an encourager or a discourager? Do you compliment or do you criticize? Our world is full of critics and cynics. We know that. But Jesus said to his followers, be different. Don't be a critic. Don't be a cynic. Build people up. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Can you imagine trying to live up to that? Only saying things that are going to build people up according to their needs. What do they need? They need to be appreciated. People who brag a lot, you may tend to think, ah, they don't need encouragement. Lots of good things are going for them. No, actually, that's why they're bragging. People who brag, people who name drop, people who tell you how wonderful they are, they're so often broken and weak and desperate for validation because no one is validating them. So they're going to validate themselves in front of you. But they are the ones who need encouragement the most. I would say to you this week, try to put this action into play. In the place that God has put you, who can you encourage? How can you do that? Think through what you would say to these people. Because as we know, words have great power. Power to damage and wound. And some of you are living examples of that. Words from your parents or from others during your childhood have so damaged and wounded you that you're living this very result of your wounding. But words also have the power to build up. Words have power to encourage as we minister to others. Maybe, for example, you're sitting in a cubicle at your work and you're the salesperson and there's someone next to you who you've heard, maybe you've actually worked together for years, and you just notice that person has a way of, of interacting with people and encouraging people and assisting people. How about if you turn to them and say, hey, you know, I, we've been working together for several years and you're exceptional. The way you treat people, the way you care for them, the things that you do, I just want you to know I really appreciate what you're doing and I could learn from you as well. Now, how do you think that's going to make that person feel? Totally empowered? They might even think you're on drugs or something if you start encouraging them. We minister at work when we encourage others continually. And we minister when we forgive others freely. When people hurt you, and as we know they will, you offer forgiveness. And in doing so, you will shock them. People typically don't respond with forgiveness. When people hurt us, it's all too easy to bottle it up or to act moody, or to do something differently. But when you forgive them, you will minister to them. There's a couple of ways forgiveness works. You say, I forgive you, and you ask for forgiveness when you hurt other people. Our world typically doesn't do this. Recently, I was upset with a friend of mine. 
Uh, he was from another country, and they tended not to worry about time too much. And so every time he came, he came late. I was, just, I was getting frustrated. And so one time he came really late. And boy, I gave it to him. I had been frustrated about something else, and he got it both barrels. And so the meeting was cut short, and I knew I had done wrong. In fact, he had come and had told me that something bad had occurred to him, but I was so upset, I didn't want to hear it. And so what did I do? After I, I acknowledged what I did, I actually wrote him a long letter of apology and then talked with him personally. And that was a powerful message to him, a young man much, much younger than I. I was supposed to be an example to him, and, and I clearly wasn't when I did what I did. But I also was an example to him when I chose to go back and ask for forgiveness. And I would say, uh, the older we get, it seems at times the harder it is to ask for forgiveness. And I would especially encourage those of us who are older and are reminded of things, of matters we haven't put right with others, to take that opportunity. Even recently, I was reminded of one that I still need to address because it's a powerful thing to ask for forgiveness and it's a powerful thing to also give forgiveness. Now, I've just gone off script, so now I need to find out where I'm at. Okay, let's see. Okay, so you want to minister to people, you forgive others freely, and you ask for forgiveness when you hurt people. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Here's what I see in the context of the workplace. You choose to minimize mistakes. You don't have to make a big deal out of mistakes because everyone makes mistakes. Is the world going to come to an end because of someone else's mistake? The person already perhaps feels foolish. They know they made a mistake. I can perhaps hammer the person and feel a little bit better about myself, showing them what a fool they were. Or I can say, it's not that big of a deal. Let's move on. That's making allowance for one another. And what's your motive for that? You forgive because the Lord forgave you. Why do we forgive? Because we'll never have to forgive anyone as much as the Lord Jesus has had to forgive us. Forgiveness is so rare in this world. So when you forgive someone, it's like a shining light comes on. In the most famous sermon of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You are different. You are to be the light of the world. Let a light set on a mountaintop for all to see. And when you forgive somebody, that light comes on. And people say, what is the difference in that person? How many of you have watched the American Idol Okay, a good number. I have. I remember a woman who tried out. She was a larger woman, and she made it through the initial trials. And as she was leaving, Simon Cowell, and I think many will know who he is. He's got quite a, quite a tongue on him. He said, looks like this year we're going to need a larger stage. The Fox Network played that for everybody to see. It was a fun little soundbite for the world, but it crushed Mandisa. When Mendisa came back, she said, Before I sing, Simon, I just want you to know that what you have done has hurt me deeply. But I also want to let you know that I have forgiven you. And the reason I've forgiven you is because I myself have been forgiven. 
It so moved Simon that he got up from around the counter and he gave her a hug. Now the networks, uh, were, were, the network executives were going, wow, great TV. The whole world is seeing this thing on forgiveness. But it wasn't just great TV. It was faith and practice. As this young woman said, I forgive you because I have been forgiven. How to have a ministry at work? You accept others unconditionally. You encourage others continually. And you forgive others freely as well. In addition, help others willingly. Being a Christian is a journey. I'm still on the journey. And you're not there yet. So I say, God, please make me willing. Because I think like many of us, we can at times be unwilling. I know that when I serve others, it makes my life purposeful, meaningful. It makes me more like Jesus. And to imagine that we're actually going to receive reward for that. Proverbs 3, verses 27 and 28 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow, then I'll help you. The Bible teaches that offering practical assistance to people at work means that you're ministering to them, you're serving them, and in doing so, you're serving God. When you help others, even if you feel like it's in vain, God sees your heart. And it changes your character. You could say he opens the window of your soul and puts his favor upon you. That is why he created you. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, we're reminded, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. When you're in the workplace, wherever you're helping somebody, put a, helping with a project, and you think to yourself, nothing I do for the Lord is ever useless. You're helping somebody figure out a computer program. You already showed them five times before, and they're asking for help again. Actually, it sounds like Nathan speaking to me. <laughs> he may be thinking, God, nothing I do for you is ever useless with Pastor Bev. <laughs> now, I appreciate people such as Nathan and others who have those skills to help those of us who are a little bit challenged. Or you stay after work and you help somebody out, and you even do menial tasks that are normally below you, and you think, nothing I do for the Lord is ever useless. So don't procrastinate. When you see people in need, help them out. Because we also easily get wrapped up in all our own stuff, but we need to see the needs of others. And if you want to be more like Jesus, you will never be more like him than when you serve. Now this week, people in the workplace or wherever you are, See them as your church. You're the minister of that church. When you go to your job, you don't need to go to your job carrying a big Bible. And if you do, just don't tell them you're here from Calvary. <laughs> but when you go and you know that people are hurting all around you, remember that they need to be accepted, encouraged, forgiven, and helped. Jesus came to earth and died on the cross so that those of us who are broken and sinful, could be connected with God and have a personal relationship with him. And in that personal relationship, we receive his power to do the things that don't come naturally to us. When you do things like that, you earn the right to tell others about the relationship you have with God. And lastly, don't forget to pray for others. Everyone faces life's challenges. 
and when you have demonstrated care and compassion of Jesus by serving wherever you are, whatever you may be doing, you have earned the right to speak into the lives of others. And one of the most important ways you can do that is through prayer. Now, yes, you should be privately praying for your coworkers, your neighbors, and others, but how about you take it a next step? Yes, how about if you ask them, is there something I can pray for you? Because so often in the midst of life's challenges, heartaches, pains, and disappointments, people's hearts are open to know that there is a God who cares for them. As it says in 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. So quietly, discreetly, so as to not cause embarrassment, ask that person if you can pray for their specific needs, which you may likely know because of your involvement in their lives. Pray for them then and there in their presence. You don't have to pray long. It could be as simple as, I pray for my friend Jerry, that you, God, will bring peace in his family situation. Amen. Simple as that. And you won't believe the kind of difference it makes when you pray right there as they listen to you talk to God on their behalf. The closing challenge I have is to leave you with is to go back to your work or wherever you're going to be this week with a new job description. Serve. And a new title, as strange as it sounds, Minister. And as you walk through the doors of your work or wherever, remind yourself, I am a minister of Jesus Christ in this place today. I can minister to others by accepting and encouraging and forgiving and helping and praying for them. Who believes that you can put at least one of these actions to get, uh, um, you put these actions together this week? I believe all of us can, and I hope that you will. Thank you.